Hi, this is Howard Anderson, news editor at Information Security Media Group. With so many healthcare information security breaches caused by the loss or theft of unencrypted mobile devices, many organizations are attempting to figure out how to minimize the risk of using these devices. Today, we're talking about mobile device strategies with security expert Tom Walsh. Thanks so much for joining us today, Tom. Well, thank you, Howard. Tom, is mobile security becoming a critical concern for more of your consulting clients? What are you hearing? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. This is a real challenge uh, for most organizations because really what you have here is so many different types of mobile devices being introduced into the marketplace all the time. And also you have new mobile apps that are being uh, released as well. And unfortunately, I think you know, many of the vendors of these mobile apps, especially what they're doing is they're working going straight to the physicians or the clinicians and they're getting them sold on it and they buy these apps and then security really gets involved at the latter stages right before go live and then all of a sudden you know you're trying to get the thing secured and they're thinking you're putting the um, the whammy on the whole operation so um, more and more we see more devices more apps more use more demand We've seen dozens of major breaches involving the loss or theft of unencrypted devices in the headlines. So why does this continue to be a problem? Why isn't the use of encryption for mobile devices more commonplace in healthcare? Yeah, you would think they'd have this one figured out. You know, it's a good question, Howard. And, you, you know, September of 2009 when that breach notification rule went into effect, I've been tracking the reported breaches that have affected over 500 patients. I know you have, too. And, you know, the, what I see is this common trend, which is about 66 to 68% of all the breaches that have been caused are attributed to theft or loss. Well, what's being lost and stolen are laptops, tablets, smartphones, portable media, so all the mobile devices that we're trying to talk about here. So, yeah, you would think by now every device that has any kind of PHI would be encrypted, but they're not. And um, here's what I figured out kind of from my own experience in working with lots of different clients. Corporate-owned laptops, tablets, smartphones, those are usually encrypted. I don't see too many problems with that. Now, portable memory devices like USB thumb drives and external memory devices, eh, not so much. Some organizations are better about encrypting those and providing users with encrypted devices. But really, here our issue is that we have a lot of personally owned devices being introduced into the workplace. And really, the only way you're going to enforce encryption on a personally owned device is that you have to implement some type of mobile device management system. Now, there is some pros and cons to this. And, and the downside to this on the user side is that when the organization now forces them to do encryption or takes control in some way, shape, or form of their smartphone, they now have some partial ownership of it. So you'll always get the users now calling the help desk saying, my phone used to work until I installed your security software. Now it doesn't work. And um, it could or could not be related, but that's the issue that we have to deal with. The second thing with the mobile device management systems is that in some cases you could potentially wipe out personally stored data on the device if you were to issue some kind of a wipe or a kill command. So, for example, a user misplaces it, can't find it, you issue the wipe command, now all their stuff's gone and they're upset with you. 
and we're talking about things like contacts, their emails, their pictures, uh, whatever else they may have stored on the phone. So to overcome this, most of the mobile device management systems I've seen today, they create some kind of a partition or a sandbox to isolate corporate data from personally owned data on the device. Okay, good. Now, the problem with that is in order to access the corporate data, you've got to enter some other form of authentication, usually a password or a PIN. And so users complain about this because now it's a, a hassle. It's, you know, it's a hassle factor, too many passwords. Also, Howard, I found that some of these older smartphones that are still out there, they either have really weak encryption or have no encryption capability. So that, that's a real issue here as to why uh, we see so many devices without encryption. So what do you consider to be the most essential elements of a, an overall mobile device security policy then? Well, I've been telling people for a long time, at a minimum, three controls. Number one, some type of power-on password or um, owner authentication. That could be some a biometric. It could be for some of the phones you use a pattern that you, you punch in or a personal identification number or PIN. So that's number one. Number two, you really need to have some kind of automatic timeout or lockout after the device has gone idle after a certain period of inactivity, you know, like 10 minutes or something. And then finally, encryption. So even though you may have implemented the first two controls I talked about, passwords and timeout, you're not going to help yourself here if you don't encrypt the memory. Because if somebody gets your phone, maybe they can't get into it, but there's really nothing to stop them from taking your phone apart and popping out the memory. And that's why you need to have encryption. So those are the three that I tell everybody the bare minimum you have to have. Now, you already mentioned uh, mobile device management systems, and the Department of Veterans Affairs recently announced a major investment in an MDM system. Should most healthcare organizations above a certain size be considering investment in such a system, or is it just for those who are doing BYOD or what? And what role can a mobile device management system play in preventing breaches involving mobile devices? What do you think? So I'd say, first of all, in my opinion, any medium to large size healthcare organization really needs to consider implementing some type of mobile device management system. What I've seen, though, is that some organizations are, especially those that are using Microsoft Exchange for their email, they're using ActiveSync as being their mobile device management system, which it uh, it does have some ability to force controls, but it's not a true mobile device management system. So what you're trying to do is enforce policies through some kind of technical controls, and hopefully the goal here is to prevent some a breach from occurring. Where you have an advantage over uh, with a mobile device management system over something as simple as ActiveSync is, first of all, ActiveSync, the encryption that it enforces, doesn't meet the FIPS 140-2. And the second advantage that I think is really a big advantage is that a lot of the mobile device management systems provide detailed audit logs. That can be extremely valuable if you ever do have a breach. So, for example, there have been several breaches that were reported, and the covered entity took almost the entire 60 days, you know, the maximum allowed by the rule, to report it. Why? Well, because for a lot of them, they had no clue what was on the device that was lost or stolen. 
Um, one of my favorite stories is a physician that had uh, their attache case stolen, and when the investigation was going on, the question was asked, well, you know, what all did you have in there? And one of the things he said was, a bunch of USB drives. And we said, well, what's a bunch? I don't know, five, maybe seven. Okay, great. What was on those USB you know, devices? No idea, no clue. So to try to do the due diligence, we had to go in and try to figure out what information was stored on each one of the USB devices, and that takes a lot of time. So even if you, know, you have a device that was reported lost or stolen, how do you know with absolute certainty what data was in there? So really, I think it's become the prudent thing to do is to implement these things so you have some control. I think the, the legal term they call this is uh, the prevailing practice, which means as more and more organizations implement a mobile device management system, if your organization isn't doing it, it, it could be viewed as um, being either careless or irresponsible. So um, that's that's what I think as far as mobile device management systems, why we're going that way. Okay, other than uh, mobile device management systems, um, what do you think are the most essential security steps to take in light of the BYOD trend? What other things should folks be doing? Well, with the bring your own device, I think one of the most important things, Howard, is to educate the user on the risk. You really need to take the time to explain why these security controls are, are being implemented and how the controls can actually protect the organization as well as the individual user. Um, without a clear understanding of this, uh, for many users, they'll just see these controls as being a barrier and they're going to find some other convenient workaround. One of the things that caught my attention recently, and that was in May of this year, the United States Courts of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit held that an individual may be criminally convicted for knowingly obtaining health information in violation of HIPAA, even if the individual did not know that the access was illegal. So this is really serious stuff, Howard. So I think the users need to know what the risks are uh, for this bring-your-own-device stuff. So what can organizations do to help minimize the amount of patient information stored on various mobile devices to help minimize the risk? You can't breach it if it isn't there. Uh, how do you minimize the storage? So one of the things that organizations are doing today to stop that storage is allowing access through uh, what, what, what I would refer to as virtualization technology. Now, what I'm saying here is that they can get the access through either some kind of a portal or some other uh, tool such as Citrix so they can see the information and have access to it, maybe even manipulate it, but it never gets stored on their local device. It's always going to reside on a server uh, back in the data center. I guess my analogy to that would be you're uh, looking through the window of a department store and maybe there's somebody in there setting up the display. You can see the display. You can even maybe get the person to move the display around or change it, but you physically can't touch it. It's behind the glass. It's protected. So that's where I'm seeing organizations are going to. We can allow access to data for the appropriate people when they need it. They can get the access using just about any kind of device anywhere, but they never actually get to touch it. It doesn't get stored on their local device. It's always behind the, the protection of the data center. 
So I see that's where we're going with this. Now, there are some issues with it, and I mentioned that most of the clients that I've seen are using Citrix to accomplish this, and, and that's an older technology, and it works fine in some applications. The trouble that we have is that it's kind of, the words I've heard actually used were clumsy, slow, awkward. So it wasn't really designed, the Citrix solution wasn't designed for mobile devices, uh, in particular, you know, smartphones. And then you also have these applications like your electronic medical record or your electronic health record, and they were designed to run on, let's say, larger monitor screens, 17 to 22 inches. So how good does this look on a smartphone? Not so good. So we've got a ways to go there, but that's one of the goals I see is virtualization. Okay, finally, mobile devices are widely used for email access and texting. Uh, what policies should healthcare organizations have in place to make sure patient information isn't exposed in these emails or text messages? Is that a tough challenge? Oh, uh, this is a real tough challenge here because even you know we talk about synchronization of getting your email through uh, syncing up, and we can control it through a mobile device management system. Let's set all that aside for a moment. Most organizations allow web access to their email, which means that you, as long as you have a device, it could be a home computer, it could be a personally owned laptop, smartphone, anything, as long as you can get access to the Internet, you can get access to your email. Most organizations allow people to send patient information or protected health information through an internal email because it's secure. That's what they consider it to be secure. But how many organizations are allowing the web access, and now how secure is that? So I'm sending you an email, and let's say it has an attachment with some PHI in it. I'm thinking you're in your office securely working on your computer. In reality, you could be on any computer, any laptop, tablet, smartphone, anywhere, checking it through the corporate email you know, web browser, and then you're storing that data. So that's, that's the real challenge there. Uh, text messaging is something else that we have to deal with. We've got physicians who tell nurses, you know, send me a text. Well, um, how are we making healthcare decisions based on a text message? How do we trust the person who sent the message is truly um, the owner of the phone? As we talked about, if they're not using any of these security controls, anyone who has access to the phone could have access to the text messages. So beyond just the mobile device management, we have other areas where uh, texting and email where people can get this information stored on their devices. Okay, so does that mean a secure email of some sort is essential? And what about a text message policy? Should you just say don't talk about patients via text or what, what works? Uh, well, as you know, uh, telling people they can't do something in a policy, it, it only goes so far unless you can enforce it. I know several organizations who tried to tell physicians and surgeons, for example, don't put PHI um, in your calendar. Well, a lot of surgeons put their uh, surgery schedules, for example, in a calendar system. Even though you tell them they'll do it, unless you come up with a better solution for them, they'll probably continue to do it. So, yeah, you should put it in your policy, but you've got to find some other way to enforce it. And I think, again, it goes back to user education. That'll, it, it's a lot of the time to spend, but if we teach people the right thing, and they, and they understand what the risks are, I think we're, we'd be better off. Really, as I, I tell people as you build this out, you've got to build a strategy for this, and I would say you focus on 
the old ITIL model, which is people, process, and technology in that order. And unfortunately, what I find a lot of times is security people, they'll go out and secure, or they'll go buy the technology, and then that drives their process, and then they force it on the people, and that's never a good way to go about it. So start with the users, find out why they're sharing this data, what can we do to get the message across to them, and find a better way to use these devices more securely. Well, thanks very much, Tom. We've been talking today with consultant Tom Walsh. This is Howard Anderson. Thanks so very much for listening.